You're listening to The Business Marketing Show, episode number 48. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Welcome to The Business Marketing Show. I'm your host, Brendan. I'm here with my co-host, Ed. Hello, Ed. How are you today? Excellent, Brendan. How about yourself? I'm well, thanks. What are we talking about today? We are going to be covering what has been happening in 2015, what's been working for us in the online marketing space, and then uh, going into the Brendan and Ed predictions for 2016, (laughs) (laughs) which is always a bit scary because people can play this back and listen to it and go... Geez, those guys were so on the money, or gee, they were so terrible and had no idea what they were talking about. So Nobody's ho- going to be able to say that. Nobody. Nobody. Your confidence is amazing. <laughs> so we'll go over what's been working for us and for our clients over 2015 and uh, and go into some stuff for 2016 and where we think the market is going or what uh, businesses should be focusing on for their online marketing efforts. So uh, take it away. What have we been doing in 2015, Brendan? Well... We've got it down to five major things on the list. So we've got five points to run through and then five predictions for next year. So in terms of what worked well, the number one thing I have on the list that um, probably a lot of people don't understand or aren't doing, um, and it's probably not the first thing that you should be doing anyway. There's probably other things on the list that would be more important as a first step, but uh, remarketing and retargeting advertising. Yes, that is a that is a big one, and I think a lot of people are still not familiar with what remarketing or retargeting is. And uh, we will explain that right now, and I'll let you. <laughs> oh, that's cheeky! I'll let you take that one, Brendan, because I know you love the subject so much. Well, effectively, well, remarketing and retargeting mean the same things, kind of. Um, so specifically, I think we're talking about Google AdWords remarketing. So basically, the scenario is this. Someone comes to your website or one of your online properties or interacts with you somehow online, does stuff, um, and through the magic of technology, they get cookies so or cookie gets put on the machine or tagged somehow, um, and that tag is put on a list. So let's say... You have a list inside AdWords that is a list of all the people who've been to the website. So that's called your audience list. Um, They come to the website, they go away. Now, what remarketing or retargeting allows you to do is show ads to that person around the web or in particular places on the web once they've been to your website. And the goal is really to get them back, to re-engage, to sell them whatever it is, to give them a special offer. Um, and they may have been, they may be a customer already. So it might be someone who, say, for example, you have an online store. They come to you, they bought something, great, they're happy. That's you know transaction done. Um, with something like remarketing, uh, it gives you the power to advertise them again in the future. So you might have a promo that you're running in six months' time through the power of remarketing. You can show those ads to those people who've been customers already around the web. Um, So it's a hugely flexible tool. Um, I guess it's a way to build a a list of customers and then advertise them to them around the web. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And you can be very, very specific with your audience that you set up. So it doesn't just have to be because <clears throat> a lot of people that I see do remarketing, they just have it so it's anyone who visits the site then gets remarketed to, which is a really bad idea, particularly when they're remarketing the same thing to you that you've just bought. So like, yeah. that's pretty weak. Uh, so, you know, you can have very customized audiences for people who have only landed on a specific page and didn't buy. Uh, people have gone to the shopping cart and didn't, they abandoned the shopping cart. You can actually get back in front of those people with a specific offer, not necessarily a discount, but just an offer that entices them back. Uh, because most people, they don't realize when they come to your website, 90 to 95 percent of people leave without doing anything that's that would be a very typical um, percentage of people who do that sort of stuff so if you don't have something like remarketing set up to get back in front of them potentially you could never see that customer or visitor again Mm -hmm. so you've wasted all your time and energy so you can be very specific with how you get back in front of them the frequency you know, I think it's very, very important to, to think your strategy through with remarketing before you just randomly start putting ads out. So uh, the, the strategy used properly is really powerful. And also, we, we, you spoke about Google. We've been doing a lot with Facebook of recent times as well. And we've actually been getting even better um, returns with Facebook than we have with Google in a lot of cases for some of our clients. So Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it depends on your target market. The youth market team you know, typically spend more time on Facebook, so that's you know the young people. The, young, the people, young people, the young people, the under thirty fives. Uh, I said that. So that that would be me. That's you, Brendan. I said that for you. Yeah, I'm so still, I'm, you know, I'm still in my twenties, right? Yeah, absolutely, in your dreams. So anyone who's <laughs> under that sort of, you know, typically spend a lot of time on social media platforms. So remarketing to them. And it works exactly the same way typically as it does with AdWords as it would with with Facebook um, is a really good thing to focus on and to test if you haven't tried it in 2015, 2016 is probably the time to start getting into that because your competitors are. So uh, remarketing. If you want to know more about remarketing, you can have a look at uh, – Brendan will have something in the show notes about some stuff he's written. Um, I will. You can also go to uh, – We'll add your infographic that you, you have. You can add our infographic. We've got a website, remarketing.com.au. There's more information on there as well. So we'll have those in the show notes for remarketing for you to have a look at. So uh, what is next? Well – I'm going to shuffle the list around. So let's do email marketing next because I think email marketing ties in with remarketing very closely because it's another one that people aren't really focused on. Um, There's so much, we talked about this several times, that there's so much focus on social media and Facebook and Instagram and all these platforms, but people always, well, I won't say always, but most often overlook email as a marketing strategy. Um, and do it very poorly or don't go deep enough on it. So um, email marketing is, from what we've seen with clients, is getting it's only getting more powerful, and I think a lot of that is because um, less people are doing email marketing. Email marketing is generally done poorly, so when it's done really well, it works um, really well, um, and it can be used in so many different ways. Um, like you can use it in a similar way to remarketing. You can use it for monthly news newsletter broadcasts. You can use it for special offers, introduce customers to whatever it is you're selling, new products and services, all sorts of different ways to leverage email marketing. What are your thoughts? Uh, I still think email marketing is probably pound for pound 
the best source of um, leverage you can get uh, in terms yep. of marketing. Uh, I don't think there's anything else that is really going to beat it. I mean, all the other things, in my in my opinion, everything else, the goal is to build your list. So even though you, you know you're obviously trying to sell something or get a lead for something, those people need to go on a list that you can then market to them again and again and again. And the only way you can do that is by getting them on an email marketing list. It's great if they, you know, if they're following you on Facebook. It's all that sort of stuff is wonderful and does have uh, a, a great effect and can get you sales and leads, etc. But nothing is good in my experience in twelve years of as having a list. Uh, and when I speak to some of our clients and they've been in business for twenty years and they haven't built a list, it's really like, whoa, this needs to change pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about it, if you've got a list of 500, 1,000, 10,000 people, whatever the number is, at any given moment, you can craft a message to those people and send it out for f- technically for free. It's not costing really anything to send out that email. Um, nothing substantial anyway other than your monthly fees you're paying for your, your email service, which could be 20 or $30. And you, you get to get in front of those people in their very most private space, which is in their email box. Uh, and if you do it right and you don't do it so that it's in an annoying way, you do it so you're always adding value anytime you email them, uh, your, your, your chances of getting a sale uh, are very, very good. So, yeah, I, I think anyone who understands marketing, if they're telling you that email is dead uh, and not to build an email list, they don't, they don't understand marketing because they're not, mm-hmm. they're not on top of that. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think in general – Email like we, I always say to my clients, email marketing before social media because it's just there's more people there, it's more powerful, it's cheaper, it's easier, it's more effective. It's just if you're not doing email marketing, you need to be basically right. Yeah, absolutely. It's an absolute given. You have to do it. You've got to start building a list. There's too many tools available now, and it's so inexpensive to start building an email list. You can get started for free. Um, so, yeah, email marketing is a must. You've got to make sure that you get that sorted because, because you're missing out on huge opportunities. And the whole premise of getting uh, people to your business and to your website is not only to make sales and, and get leads, it is to build that list so you can then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat with your email list. So, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Good, good point. Cool. So next on the list, I've got SEO, search engine optimization. And the number one strategy that worked for us this year out of everything that's like the magic bullet, how do I rank higher in Google? We've talked about this on an episode this year at some point is you need a page of content on your website for every product and service you want to sell. Super simple, but you would be surprised the amount of people who come to us and they want to rank for 10 different search terms and they have no pages on their website for those search terms. It's the most overlooked thing. It's so simple. It's so obvious. And it's so hard to get people to do it. But it's in terms of search engine strategies, that's probably my best one. Yeah. See, that to me is like it's uh, it's just bizarre because to you and I, that is like breathing in and breathing out. It just makes really common sense that you have a page of content about a particular 
service or product or information that you're trying to get across to people and you have a dedicated page. It sometimes feels to me that people think mm-hmm. that websites, you know, you can only have like 20 pages of content. You can't go any more than 20 pages, otherwise my website might break and I might not be able to manage it all. No, the, pers- the purpose <laughs> of a website is so you can have tens of thousands of pages it, if you're using a content management system like WordPress or something like you know something similar, uh, it makes it very easy to manage that content. And then the search engines look at it and go, "Oh, look, that page is about that." It only it only makes sense to the search engines if there's information about that on the page telling them what it's about. And the same goes for the visitor. You know, you got to treat the visitor and the search engine as the same entity because if you create mm-hmm individual targeted content for the visitor, then you're going to please the search engines and then that's going to bring you business. And so we we talk about this on a regular basis with our clients, don't we? And it's say, I, I don't understand why they, they resist. Yep. It's not complicated. Not yep. complicated at all. Yeah. Yep. We've even changed. So we, we don't really do keyword research like we used to do because people will come to us and they want to do they have a list of keywords and the keywords are like they don't really make sense for what they're selling. So, and um, you know the exercise we have them do is ten minutes piece of paper brain dump out everything you want to sell, whole list of products and services. Step two, rank them in order of priority of most important to least important. That could be in terms of the order you want to sell them or the margin they make or how easy they are to sell or whatever it is. And then step three, match them up with pages on the website. Every page needs to match. Every product and service needs to match to a page. Can't match to more than one page and the homepage doesn't count. That's the super simple exercise to do. It might take 15 or 20 minutes to do it and it will tell you exactly what pages you need on your website. It's funny, you know, because people think, there's so much, so much of an industry has built, been built around making online marketing this black box that it's super difficult to understand, and SEO is some black magic, and it's just completely not. Google's trying to replicate what it's trying to mimic humans in terms of you know human search behavior and how humans work, and it's trying to match up you know human behavior with their algorithm. You know, and it's the most simple thing. You know, it's it's not black magic. It's it's just human behavior. People aren't going to buy something if you don't have a page. On it, you know, on your website about it. So, why would Google rank you if you don't have that page? It's it's just crazy. So, I think that's a. If you're thinking about doing anything with the website um, or doing more with online marketing in 2016, I think that should be one of the first activities you put on your to-do list. Amen. Yes, 100%. So that that is simple. That is that is not a complicated task to get underway. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. What do we have next? Next, AdWords, Facebook, paid advertising. Yeah, so that's all been something that if people are not doing any of those forms of of advertising, they're getting left behind in 2015. That's been my experience because Mm -hmm. your competitors are. uh, People think that if they only do SEO, they don't need to do AdWords or, or vice versa. And I think, well, that's not a good way of thinking because you're going to get people who are going to click on your ads who won't click on your organic listing and partly because the organic listings are getting pushed further and further down the page these days. Yep. Um, and the primary spots are for the ads because that's where 
the companies who are providing these search engine platforms and social media platforms are making money. So obviously the advertising is going to be first and foremost because that's what keeps it all running. So uh, don't discount your advertising. Start off with a lower budget maybe, and that's we've had a lot of clients we've worked with over 2015 where we started off at you know ten or fifteen, twenty dollars a day maximum advertising spend in an AdWords campaign, and now some of them are up to two, three hundred dollars at the end of the year because we've we've kept increasing, we've we've measured, we've monitored, we've adjusted, and then we've increased the spend because if they're getting a twenty percent return, then wouldn't you rather get a twenty percent return on a ten thousand dollar ad spend than a one thousand dollar ad spend? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you know it's only it's only numbers at the end of the day. So uh, if your cash flow allows for it, and you're smart with your money and how you you're spending it on your advertising, then if you're doing the right thing or whoever you're working with to get this stuff sorted, you should just be able to start ramping up your ad spend because your competitors are doing it. And if yep. you don't, they're going to eat your lunch. That's the plain, simple truth about the matter. Um, yeah. So, but the thing is, like the web is much more fragmented than it was a few years ago. Even, you yeah. know, you know, five or ten years ago, it was Google. Like that was you know where all the attention was. Now it's split across social media platforms, different devices, even different contexts or scenarios in which people are using those devices as well. It makes a difference. So, For sure, it's not just being in search engines that you know is important you need to be in all these different places as well and i think there's a tendency for people to you you know you've just rattled off some numbers there you know a few thousand a month or whatever and for a you know a small business a small small business with three to five staff those numbers can seem scary because they're like i can't afford that you know i can't afford to be spending two or three thousand dollars a month on google but the mistake that's made often is that you're seeing it as an expense rather yeah. than, I mean, you've already, you've just said with the numbers, you know, you need to look at it as an investment. If the ads are working, you should be getting a return on that money. You should be putting $2,000 in and getting $4,000 back or $10,000 back or whatever it is. So um, I think that an important distinction to make there is that it is not an expense. If it works, it should be making you money. And like you said, if you're not comfortable with that figure, start small and then build it up from there. But whatever you do, don't DIY it just because you're afraid of spending money on it. I think that's a very common mistake people make and that's almost a guaranteed route to failure that you're trying to DIY, especially Google AdWords, trying to do it yourself. It's just not built as a DIY platform. Even though Google do market it in some cases as a DIY platform, that's probably the biggest mistake you can make is trying to cut corners, trying to save money on the ads instead of trying to get the best yield out of them. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're not just saying that because we want your business. We always want your business, but that is not the reason we're saying it. And I've I've said this in workshops. I'm sure you have too. If you're going to go down the do-it-yourself path, you need to be well and truly studied and well-schooled on the subject before you just randomly open up an AdWords campaign and start setting up ads. Um, you need to spend 15, 20, 30 hours, you know, getting stuck into this stuff, buying the books. Um, Perry Marshall's book, The Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords, is a good one to start with. 350 pages long, and there's some fantastic uh, examples of, of advertising psychology, not just the mechanics of setting up the actual ad campaign in the system itself, You know, because that changes regularly with, mm-hmm. with Google. So you really need to have an understanding of marketing and a, a, the psychology behind advertising before you just go and set up 
an ad campaign because that you are more than likely going to stuff it up. Um, yeah, because small settings, you know, there is a hidden setting on some tab that you'd never come across oh, normally yeah. in AdWords that would mean the difference between blasting a budget in an hour and the budget lasting a whole month. Like, you know, that's on the technical side of things. But then on a, a marketing and sales side of things, uh, while small business owners, their job is to sell stuff that, you know, I think of as a small business owner should be the best salesperson in the business, even though they probably don't think of themselves as a salesperson. But a lot of people don't understand that changing words out, um, small changes in wording can make a huge difference. Like we've talked about this in many episodes where you know change the top and bottom line of an AdWords ad around, they don't say anything different. The words are still the same. You've just changed the sequence and it means there was between a performing ad and something that doesn't perform. The same goes with small word tweaks the the word cheap and the word affordable are two very different words and mean different things in the advertising and sales context. So mm. I think the technical side is one thing, learning that those skills, but also, I mean, me and you've both been doing this for you know, 10, 15 years. You see the patterns and, you know, you learn the art of these words and what works and what doesn't. And I think that gets lost sometimes when people do their own ads. I'd see it, you know, if I bring up a... Uh, a search result for a particular term that we're doing ads for a client on, I can pick the ads that are done by the business owner because you can just see the mistakes. You can see where the wording doesn't work or the format of the ads isn't really ideal. So I think it's just you just blasting your money if you're going to DIY paid ads. That's that's my perspective anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you've got to take – if you're going to take that risk, don't go in blind, spend a lot of time uh, learning how to do it it's not it's not an overnight thing to be able to do an AdWords campaign. The same goes for a Facebook advertising campaign as well. That is something that you need to have a firm understanding of the psychology, your target market, the, the, the demographics of you know who's going to be seeing the ads, all these sorts of things need to be well researched before you just randomly set one up. So that that is the danger. It is easy to go and open up a Facebook advertising account and an AdWords advertising account. It's you know, it takes five minutes to run through the setup and then stick your credit card in and bang, off you go. You're a lethal weapon to your credit card. You know, so <laughs> then before you know it, you know, you've you've ranked up a thousand dollars and you haven't haven't even got the right target market <laughs> in mind. So yeah, don't walk before you can run. Make sure you know what you're you're getting yourself into before you go down the path. So, and we're not doing that as scaremongering. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a fact. We've seen it happen. Most of the campaigns that I pick up from clients who have already run one, who now come to me secondarily and go, "Oh, can you help us with our AdWords campaign? We've been running it, and AdWords just doesn't work." The, the amount of times I've heard AdWords doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's why you know there's people. Ad, AdWords is, has a hundred million dollars a day spent on it because it doesn't work. No, it's just because you didn't work it properly. That's the problem. <laughs> and we go in and look, and there's mm-hmm. like fifty rookie mistakes that they've made in the setup of the ad campaign, and we just you know cut those things out, make a few tweaks, and all of a sudden it's going from from nothing to starting to get conversions and and leads and sales. So um, just. Do your research before you get into it. Off that soapbox now, Brendan. I think we should move on. <laughs> that was a good rant. I think we both we, we both just letting it out. You know, it's like yeah, a counseling yeah. session. This is it. This is, it off your it's chest. been a it's been a very busy year, two thousand fifteen. We've we, this is it. Definitely, I was as I was venting, but all for the purpose of you 
our listener. So uh, and yeah. helping with selfless, helping you. selfless head. Yes. So what's <laughs> what's next, Brendan? All right. So the last one on the list, number five. I beat the drum about this often. Is high quality, high performance hosting. Uh, I think this is an area that people try to save money on and people don't really understand hosting so they choose largely make a decision on who to um, use for hosting based on price versus performance. Uh, But at the most basic level, if you're listening to this, you know that if you get to a website and it's slow to load and it's like laggy or it's broken or whatever, you're going to click away. Like it's... uh, there's, there's no rocket science here. Slow website, as a customer or a visitor, you lose patience very, very quickly. And this is very, very common with small business websites that they're on cheap hosting. That's, you know, they're spending $5 a month on hosting and it, you know, it's cheap. You know, you don't go to the $2 store expecting high quality. So don't do the same when it comes to hosting. Or on the flip side, they're actually spending a lot of money, but the product they're getting is rubbish. So, um, We've talked about this in a couple of episodes. There's a very simple tool you can run to check the website speed. It's it's not perfect in terms of you know determining the quality of the hosting, but it's a good kind of quick and dirty way to see if you're on quality hosting or not is tools.pingdom.com. Stick your website in, choose your country. There's a settings there where you can choose which country to test it from. And the website should load in under five seconds. If you're getting numbers like 10 or 20 seconds, there's a major problem and you're definitely going to be losing customers. So ideally that needs to be under five seconds and it just needs to feel fast. Like you could load up, you know, go browse your website on your mobile phone on 3G or 4G and just see how it feels. If it's slow and other websites are fast, then there's probably something wrong with the hosting as well. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Nothing nothing worse than going onto a site that loads slow. And look, hosting is the poor third cousin when it comes to anything that to do with online marketing. It doesn't get mentioned anywhere near enough. And it's like domain names, which I will talk about when we finish this because I can't not talk about domain names. <laughs> um and it doesn't get looked at. Because, you know, everyone's so focused on, you know, SEO and AdWords and everything else. But it, it, all the stuff sits on this platform. It all sits on a domain that's pointing to a hosting platform. And if the if both of those are crap, then you're in for some serious issues. Mm-hmm. And if your website's not loading fast or it's broken, as Brendan said, you, you've just all the work you've put into designing that lovely looking website with all the nice content. Is going to fall over on its face because you've got a uh, a Corvette body sitting on a Holden Commodore chassis. Um, <laughs> you could use a better car, like a Ferrari body or something. You know? Okay, Ferrari body. Better is that a better metaphor? You like that one? Corvette and the Commodore are kind of the same, right? Aren't yeah, they? actually, no, you're right. They they use the same <laughs> engines and everything. Anyway, we're getting into car stuff now. But okay, a Ferrari body. And sorry to all the Holden Commodore owners, even though they won't exist in the next, uh, you know, not being made anymore in Australia. But that's another story. So yeah, get your, get your hosting sorted. Speak speak to Brendan. He's the hosting genius. <laughs> Thanks. And, I'll take that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you've got to have decent hosting, and it's not expensive compared to everything else you're spending your money on. It's not expensive. It's way more expensive not to have. Your hosting sorted for what you're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, get onto the hosting ASAP. Mm-hmm. And uh, one last thing, I know this is go, go ahead, domain names. domains because ultimately, this is the thing that everything is built on. Your website 
is a name. It is a domain name. People have to remember it. People have to be able to find it. It needs to make sense. It needs to resonate. Yes, you can have something that you've made up that's a generic, not generic, something that is a brandable name, you know, like, the, like a Google name or a you know Flickr or Fiverr, all these names that have weird spellings or misspellings. But they've had huge amounts of uh, time and energy and money put behind them to get them to the point where people do remember them. Uh, and often, in cases like those, they end up buying the correct spelling of the name <laughs> later on anyway when they have more money because they couldn't afford to get it at the at the start. So, But there's lots of opportunity. Uh, there's a whole host of new domain extensions that have come out. Um, I wouldn't recommend necessarily getting one of those to build your main site on. I, I personally think you should stick with .com or .com.au or .co.uk, whatever your, your country code domain extension is that makes sense for your target market. And get one of those. It doesn't hurt to have some of the new ones that, that have come out as secondary backups uh, that may link to your your main site, your .com or .comau or whatever it is you're working on. But I wouldn't necessarily recommend building out uh, a full site on one of the new extensions. You still will get leverage. You still can get them ranking, absolutely, and you can still have success. But whoever owns the .com or the .com.au equivalent or wherever you're living of that version of that domain potentially will get some of your business because people will default to going to the .com rather than your .club or .xyz or whatever mm-hmm. the domain extension would be. So put some thought into that before you just start building out a site uh, based on on that. I, I was just looking at some photos. I had a computer supply business going back 14 years ago. And I just saw some photos of my car because I had my car labelled up with all computer stuff. I had Microsoft and Canon and blah, really? blah, blah. All I want to see these photos. Ed. All over the car. It's no, it's really bad. It's, it wasn't really bad, but it was. It did the job. It brought in business. People would stop me and say, oh, you know, blah, 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 and ask me questions. But, um, but I had my web address on the back, and I was just looking at it, and I was cringing the other day because it was value plus computers dot biz that was my <laughs> that was my domain because the dot biz had just come out and i thought oh that's <laughs> awesome that makes so much sense it's got to be dot biz everyone will use that yeah so that i didn't know as much as i know now about domain names but um so yeah focus on getting a name that's going to make sense for your business preferably if someone looks at the domain and they could go i i have could have a guess what that uh, business is about based on the domain that would be a a good move. But we'll give a link to our domain uh, one we did. We'll give a link to anything we've, we've, we've touched on here. We'll have in the show notes because we've probably done an episode more in detail on that mm-hmm. subject. So we'll have those in the show notes for you to go back to. So mm-hmm. off the soapbox about domain names. Now we're going on to the predictions about 2016. Right. Drum roll. Okay. So... Predictions. Predictions. It's a dangerous field to go into. <coughs> we we could get chastised for this in 12 months' time. Well, but, these are probably the things that we're recommending anyway right now, right, in terms yeah, of a strategy. Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess they're in some ways a rehash of the, the last list, but... <laughs> they really um, are. <laughs> in a way, I guess that, you know... That's, anyway, let's get into it. We'll get into it. Uh, so, number one is being websites being more content-focused um, and content becoming a much... A uh, bigger part of the strategy, I mean, we've already just talked about page for every product and service you sell on your website. I think 
moving forward, the next step of that would be uh, blog articles or pages around common questions or onboarding. Like we talk about this concept of taking the first step of your in-person sales process and putting that online, businesses that do that win. So, um, you know, the common questions that customers ask or first-time customers ask, turning that into website content, uh, that is a huge win. Even, you know, this podcast, for example, we started this because we're having these conversations over and over again with people. This is a, you know, example of content and a content strategy because this enables us to have the conversation and then we get leverage um, with the podcast. So, and we talked to Dan Norris uh, about his book um, about content strategy. So I think that yeah. if someone content wants to go, ending, yeah, yeah if well, someone wants to go deeper on content marketing, I think that's probably a good place to start is with that book. Yeah. And don't be afraid to, to do long content. So a lot of people will post an article and it may be 500, 700 words. But from what I've seen and, and that I've been reading over the last 12 months, the content that is getting the biggest amount of traction is the long form content. So going really deep into a subject, you know, 10,000 words long, and which freaks a lot of people out. Uh, but... I think going into very specific detail is building your authority because you, you're demonstrating what you know. And don't be afraid to share your knowledge. People think, oh, no, if I say that, I'm giving everything away. But you're not because a lot of people will read the content. They'll think that's great. They don't want to try and implement it themselves. So if you're someone who provides a service uh, or sells the product and you've just demonstrated you know a lot about that product or service, uh, you've just increased your chances of getting them to contact you compared to the other person who's just written a tiny little, you know, two paragraph thing on their page mixed in with all the other crap they've got on their website. So mm -hmm. go mm -hmm. deep, I would suggest. Go deep. Yep. Cool. Uh, number two, mobile smartphone stuff is going to become even more important. Um, yeah. Look, I don't know about you, but. We're still converting people across to mobile-friendly websites, so yep, definitely still, and we're we're doing that as well. Um, it's an absolute given. You have to be mobile-friendly and have a mobile focus these days because the stats that we're seeing, and no doubt you're seeing in Google Analytics, you know, at least half the visitors we've got now coming to the majority of our clients' websites uh, are on mobile. Whether, yep. that, that, whether that's a phone or a smartphone or a tablet, they, they both come into that sort of mobile category. Uh, yep. And then the rest is desktop systems. So, you know, that and that is going to change even more over the next year, two years in terms of everyone's on their smartphones now. They've got them with them all the time. Uh, the browsing, the whole experience is just getting better and better and better. Uh, so your content needs to reflect and work within that capacity of, of that um, product. So, yeah, particularly like checkouts, things like that. Um, and we see the same stats here, you know, generally for the, our Australian business, our Australian clients, 50% uh, of mobile. And generally that is 30% of those people are on an iPhone. So, um, you know, never mind the Android and all the other devices, but that, you know, 30% on iPhones alone, let's not even talk about tablets, you know, yeah. just goes to show 30% of your visitors on a mobile device or on an iPhone, you know, that's a huge proportion. So. It is a huge proportion and statistically, and I'm not sure why this is, and I've read this many times and we've had this experience as well, that there seems to be people who have iPhones have a high degree of disposable income. Um 
I never liked the term disposable income because it sounds a bit crass, but they, they are spending the money. You don't want to dispose of your income? No, I don't dispose of I'll my take income. it if you're disposing of any income. You're not getting my income. <laughs> you, you can dispose it this way. If you Look, like. you're lucky enough you get to talk to me like this. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. I'm honoured. Yes. Uh, I'm full of gratitude on <laughs> this morning. And other things. No, no. Only kidding. <laughs> You've got to you've got to get in front of, the, of these people who have iPhones. They're spending the money, uh, so don't dismiss all the others, of course, and get ready for the Android hate mail. But <laughs> people with typically people with Android phones are not the ones who are spending the money with our clients. It's people who have iPhones. So mm-hmm. if you think I'm wrong, put a comment in the in the uh, in below, and we'll we'll deal with that. But you know. Stats don't lie at the end of the day. That's what it is. So, yep. But ultimately, you have to be in front of mobile people. Your website has to work for mobile. As Brendan said, your shopping cart and your, your checkout systems need to work easily. There's nothing worse than trying to do this stuff on a phone that is trying to deal with a, a website that only operates properly on a big screen. It's just really mm-hmm. frustrating. So. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I think we're pretty safe with that prediction. I don't think yep. everyone is going to come back and say, no, mobile's completely failed. No one's using mobile phones anymore. Mm-hmm. Definitely not the case. So that's a given. That's a safe prediction. What's the next one that's not so safe? Oh, this one's safe as well. Businesses that are smart, businesses that care and they're personal, they feel personal, are the ones that are going to win. Um, and I think our friend Lisa from A Little Ray of Sunshine would agree with this, that businesses really – all about people and I think that gets lost in the online world. I think many businesses forget that they're not dealing with websites or users, they're dealing with actual people. So the Mm. businesses that care are the ones that naturally in the long term are going to win. Like it's not a short, well, there is short-term payoff, but it's a difficult strategy to see the payoff in the long term. But I mean, again, we come back to, if you're listening to this, you know when you call your bank and you get put through to an Indian call center where... The person might be able to speak English but doesn't necessarily understand English and doesn't really care you're just getting template responses. It just feels bad. Like it, it makes you feel bad about the business and you know, the bank and, and you know, whoever it is that you're calling the call center, whatever the business is you're calling the call center of, it's just it's impersonal. It's like they don't care. So and this at all levels of business, this strategy about being personal, caring about your customers and going that extra mile, which is, you know, sometimes not even a mile, it's sometimes like an extra half a centimeter. Those businesses that care genuinely um, will be the ones that win in the long run. Absolutely. Customer experience is everything. And, you know, stop trying to please the search engines, please your end user, Mm -hmm. please the visitor. That's who your target market is. So it doesn't doesn't matter how well you rank, if the rest of that experience is shit, (laughs) then all of the efforts you've taken to get there uh, are completely useless. So follow people up when they make inquiries, you know, give good customer service, good customer experience, make people want to talk about you. Um, It's, yeah, it's critical that you you have that in your mind. Otherwise, you're just going to end up wasting your time and energy. Yeah, so, yep. And look, you know, call centers, you can call people. I sometimes have great experiences with people who are overseas in call centers. Um, uh, but I think having the local experience is the best one. And I've noticed I've been using Vodafone for quite a few years. Um, I used to get 
all the time put through to call centers overseas. The last few times I've had to call them, it's always been someone local in Australia. Mm-hmm. So whether they've changed their policy and how they do that now, I'm not sure, but and it has been a much more pleasing experience. So, mm-hmm. um, well, you are a big fish head, so you know you'll be taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just a little tiny I'm, minnow I'm, in a big, just, big pond, buddy. <laughs> you know, I'm so grateful just to be talking to you this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan's got a little black book. Anyone, if any time you make a, a nasty comment, that's it. You're in the black book. I've just got a good memory. Yeah, he does. He is an elephant. Yeah. I'm going to say he's a big guy. Thanks. So, uh, what's next, Brendan? Uh, marketing automation, and I think more broadly that uh, business is now really 24 seven. The web has turned almost all business into 24 seven business. Even if your office is an op- is only open nine to five. Your customers are still interacting with you and thinking about buying from you twenty four seven. Absolutely. So, and there's so many different tools now that enable you to automate your processes much more effectively and inexpensively compared to what they used to be. Um, yep. An example could be your accounting system, Zero, uh, or MyOb, or whatever you choose to use. Uh, things that automate your payment processes and invoicing and all that sort of stuff. Um, yep. And then you've got your email marketing systems. They've been around for you know years and years, like you know 20 years or so. There's been some of the email autoresponder systems have been available for. Um, yep. Things like Aweber or MailChimp or GetResponse or Constant Contact, all these. So there's, there's dozens and dozens of them now. But and even just simple things like being smart, like if someone sends you an email, through the contact form on your website or through the inquiry's email address, just have an automated email that goes out, thanking from the inquiry, tell them when they can expect to get a reply and link them to some useful resources on the web. Like that's what, you know, for example, we have the podcast and when people send inbound emails, depending on where they've sent it to, they'll get an email back like that from us and sometimes they'll get linked to those resources and, you know, effectively we're doing business 24-7. It doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean I have to be awake 24-7, but it's yeah. just being more broadly aware that your customer is active 24-7. So, yep. you know, your strategy has to change to cater for that basically. Yeah, and make better use of things like your thank you pages when people sign up for things mm-hmm. rather than just thank you very much, you know, you're going to, you're on the email list, have something on the thank you page that's useful or or some hints and tips or some more information about other products and services that you offer that they may not have known. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of – all the little things make a big difference when you add them all up. You know, yep. e- Exponentially, they can mean the difference between an extra 20 or 30% of business um, yep. just by putting these things in place. So yep. The aggregate of marginal gains, Ed. It's Absolutely. We say it every day. It's the first thing I do when I'm brushing my teeth, I'm saying it's the aggregate of marginal gains. <laughs> While I'm brushing my teeth, I'm that into it. So you've got to make sure you you do these things, people. My my <laughs> my favorite, favorite people in the world who listen to this podcast. Thank you. You you know who you know who I'm talking to. What's next, Brendan? Uh physical retail is gonna suffer. Really badly, unless e-commerce yeah. is embraced, and we're seeing this globally. Uh, I'm seeing it locally in Perth. I don't know whether you're all seeing it where you are, but definitely there's retailers shutting down all over the place because they they're not getting the the, the foot traffic as much as they would. Um, you know, when people start getting a bit 
tighter with their money. They're much more cautious. And if you can hop online onto whatever platform and buy something with a click of a button and it gets delivered to you at low cost or no cost, and the same thing, you'd have to get your car, drive, park, deal with the traffic, deal with the people in the shopping center, and then you're paying 20% more? Who really wants that? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just like I just helped my daughter. She bought a dress for her year 12 um, ball coming up next year because you've got to get these things ahead of time, of course. (laughs) And she bought this absolutely beautiful dress online and typically she would have paid four or $500 in the store for this. And uh, it it was customizable so she could, you know, put all her measurements in and it's getting customized and made up, shipped for 290 Australian dollars. A beautiful ball dress, you know. It's like, wow, hopefully it fits her after I've said all that. But anyway, um, (laughs) but... You know, how can you compete with that when you've got a retail store? Uh, You've really got to go above and beyond and differentiate yourself from the online experience so people will actually want to go and go into your physical store. So you've got to start thinking outside the box because if it's just apples for apples people are looking at, they're going to go online every day of the week, you know, a thousand times because why would they? I've I've just ordered something on eBay that was 20 bucks cheaper I can get anywhere locally and I just did it in... Two minutes on my computer. Yeah. So. The other thing is that a lot of, um, I think a lot of retailers don't realize they have an advantage if they go online because they already have a retail store, which is effectively like a small warehouse. If you think about it like that, so they, you know, if you have a retail store and you have an online store, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You can play online, and you can buffer that with the physical retail experience, where it's still going to have you're still going to have customers that walk in, yeah. but you can use the combination. The strengths of one eliminate the weaknesses of the other in a way. So um, I think if you're a physical retailer only, there is a lot of power in moving online and doing it well, not just throwing up a store and having a stab at it, but really effectively you've turned one business into two businesses and they're kind of symbiotic in a way that they've, you know, they're stronger together than they would be by themselves. So I think that, I think retailers who have an online presence and do it well have a real advantage over online only retailers so i think yep i you know i don't want to make it all doom and gloom but the market's changed so you have to change with it as a retailer but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get beaten down um you know there's huge advantages to going online and you already have that base. You've got a very strong foundation, something you can leverage if you have a physical retail store. So I think there's a huge opportunity there if you're a retailer and not not really, or if you only have a basic online strategy right now. Yeah, very good point. As I say, symbiotic is the thing. The You can actually get so much more leverage out of having those two setups if you're doing it correctly uh, because you know a physical store has a limitation of its geographical location. You're not going to get someone buying a dress. Sorry, that's my alarm going <laughs> off there. That's my alarm reminding me to go and do some online shopping. Um, you're not going to be able to go and sell a physical dress to someone who lives in Sydney. If your store's in Perth, you know, unless you've got some sort of online ordering system, that person in Sydney is not going to be your customer. It's only going to be yep. people who are in your relatively close geographical area to your retail store. So as soon as you go online, you potentially open up the world if your target market can be that big. Um, so 
And if you're struggling with your physical retail store, the online store could be the thing that actually saves you. Yeah. Uh, and that has been the case with a lot of people we've we've seen. So, But you even see it with the big retailers, like a lot of them now, you not even the big retailers, the mid-sized retailers that might have 20 stores around the country. You know, if you place an order with them, quite often now that order ships from one of those stores where they're stock because they can use those stores effectively as small warehouses that are across the country. So they've got that strength there and they can ship it from the place that's closest to the customer. So there's definitely some strengths there you can leverage. Yep. And uh, there's no one I know better for e-commerce and strategy and technical <laughs> smarts than Mr. Brendan. So, uh, Thanks, Ed. So you've got to talk to Brendan when it comes to e-commerce stuff because that's who I talk to. <laughs> I, know, I know nowhere near. I know, I know more than the average Joe. But that is not enough. You need to you need to have Brendan Sparts. So, um, have we got anything else, Brendan? Or, or, or are it. we done? We, we, we're That's done. It. Okay. Well, we would like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the podcast in 2015. I know I've had fun doing it. Um, I don't know whether Brendan's had as much as much get on fun the as me. soapbox a few times a month. Oh, we ra- love, rave. It's great, isn't we it? We love getting on the soapbox. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for your time, um, and whether you're jogging or driving your car or sitting down in your lounge room or in your office, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope it has been informative and useful and productive for you and it has saved you some time, energy and money. And we look forward to doing more of the same for you in 2016. So have a very, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from Brendan and I. And we will speak to you in 2016. Thanks, Brendan. See you. Catch ya. You've been listening to The Business Marketing Show. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher.